Let's turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Ezra. We'll be in Ezra chapter number 8, uh, the little book of Ezra, right after Second Chronicles, right before Nehemiah. Uh, Ezra chapter number 8, and I'm going to read uh, one verse of Scripture this morning for our text, but I want you to keep your Bibles open. Uh, we will look at several other verses in this same chapter, Ezra chapter number 8, and I want to bring a message this morning that I believe will be an encouragement to us but at the same time, challenge us in our Christian life as well. And the two things that uh, I'm thankful for that the Word of God does for me personally, it encourages me. Uh, but I'm thankful that it also challenges me and reminds me of where I fall short and uh, what I need to do uh, to, uh, to improve my Christian life. And I believe the message will accomplish both those things today. As we look at it, the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter number 8, <clears throat> look with me first at verse number 18. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah with his sons and his brethren, 18. Our text this morning is going to come from the first part of verse 18. And by the good hand of God, good hand of our God upon us, I want you to notice also in verse number 22, uh, towards the end of the verse, the hand of our God is upon all them, for good that seek him. Verse number 31 of the same chapter. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go into Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us. If we were to take the time this morning to turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a contemporary of Ezra. Uh, Nehemiah, one of the uh, things that he stated as proof of that he was doing a work for God as he made that same statement and the good, God, the, good, the, hand, the good hand of our God is upon me. As we look at verse number 18, and by the good hand of our God upon us. This morning, I want to preach on that subject, the good hand of our God, the good hand of our God. Father, I pray this morning that you would use the word of God to speak to us, to encourage us, <clears throat> to also challenge us. And Father, I pray that your will will be accomplished this morning. And Father, we live in strange days. We live in troubling days. But Father, one constant that remains, one thing that has never changed, uh, is you. And Father, I pray this morning that uh, to the one here this morning who, uh, whose life is, is, is changing so quickly that uh, they, they don't know up from down, may they grab a hold of you. May we uh, have that anchor that holds. And Father, I pray that there is one unsaved this morning. May they realize their need of salvation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. To give you a little background of the book of Ezra, Israel has been in Babylonian captivity, and God had, <clears throat> had them go in captivity for 70 years. Israel had been unfaithful to God. We touched on this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. As long as God's people were uh, obedient to God, God blessed them. But one of the ways uh, that God punished His people or God got the attention of His people was to allow them to go into captivity. Uh, they had been unfaithful to God, and due to this captivity, there were many who lived in that day uh, who believed that they had lost the promise of God. And this is certainly understandable because what God had allowed them to experience and allowed them to go through. Uh, and certainly, if they were honest with themselves, they, uh, they, they, would, they would have to say, we deserve 
uh, to lose the promise of God. But I remind you very quickly, and I'll remind you later in the message, uh, that God uh, does not change His promises. God does not change His Word. And Ezra is going to be used, among others, to come back to the uh, city of God, and God is going to use Ezra to put some things in order, including the house of God. But I want to remind you from our text this morning, in verse number 18, he speaks of the good hand of God. Let me just remind us that even in the spite of, in spite of captivity, God had not forsaken them. Aren't you thankful that even when <clears throat> we find ourselves in, if I can use the same terminology this morning, captivity, God does not forsake us. In the midst of captivity, you can still be blessed. But, well, Pastor, what do you think about what has taken place in our nation? I think America should be ashamed for how it has turned us back on God. I think America should be ashamed uh, for the fact that we sacrifice uh, unborn children uh, to the gods of this world. I think America should be ashamed because uh, that we have taken God out of His rightful place. But in the spite of the chastisement and the judgment of God, I still say that you can find evidence of the good hand of God. I believe in the midst of captivity, God's people can still experience the blessings of the good hand of God. I believe in a wicked day, God is still on His throne. I believe in days of uncertainty, and we don't know what the future is going to hold. This book is still true. And while God's people in this time wondered if they had lost the, the, the opportunity, they wondered if they had missed out on the promises of God. I want to remind you what God had told His people in God's Word was still true. But I want to remind us today that God's Word is still true. We may not know how it's all going to work out. We may not know how it's all going to end up, but I, for one, am not throwing up my hands this morning. I, for one, am not casting my Bible aside. I look a little closer in God's Word, and I still believe the same God who is true in this day is still true today, and I still believe no matter what happens, the good hand of God can be upon us. In the midst of captivity, you can still have God's presence. In the midst of captivity, you can still experience His deliverance. To use this terminology this morning to illustrate what might take place in our life, I don't think any of us like to be in captivity. We don't like to be in captivity of our circumstances. We don't like to be in captivity of, of, of what life has handed to us. But part of being in captivity means that you can be delivered and how wonderful deliverance is by the God who sits on His throne. You can experience His deliverance. When you're in captivity, when you're captive to life circumstances, Pastor, what should I do? We ought to seek the good hand of God. Too often we look for ourselves for the solution to the problems we face. We need to look to the good hand of God. <clears throat> Too often we look for man and what man might do to change our circumstances or what man might do to bring deliverance. I say this morning, as a reminder to all of us this morning in the Emmanuel Baptist Church, let's not look to any man, let's not look to any group of men, but we find ourselves in need and we find ourselves in captivity. Look for the good hand of God when you backslide as God's people had backslidden. This morning, I want you to hear me well if your relationship with God is not what it should be. 
It is not what it once was. We use that term backslider for the person who used to be in church, but now they're, they're in the gutter, they're on skid row. But friend, you can sit in the, on the church pews and be backslidden. When you backslide, I want you to hear me this morning, and maybe you're backslidden today. Maybe you sit here and your heart is cold to the things of God. Maybe you're watching on the live stream or you're listening by radio this morning. Hear me very well. When you're backslidden, look for the good hand of God. Because it is God that restores. It is God that can bring you out of captivity. But I just want to say this morning, even when we get away from God, the good hand of God is very real. I've been asked, and I've often thought of this question, as the next presidential and the next election is almost upon us. What happens if the election goes the way that we do not want it to go? And the result is we lose our freedom. And I don't think I'm being extreme when I put that comparison because I do believe our freedom is on the ballot. But what happens if it doesn't go the way that we would want it to go? Pastor, what do we do? I tell you what we do. We seek the good hand of God. You can be right with God when others are not. You can be blessed by God even in a wicked world. You can be blessed by God even when God is judging people. You can be blessed by God. And this Bible and history is full of examples of God raising nations up and God taking nations down and judging nations for their wickedness. And if that happens in the United States of America, what are we going to do? I say we just look to the good hand of God and we believe in Him and we can be blessed even in those circumstances. If we put ourselves, we place ourselves the best we can into the text this morning. God's people had been taken out of their land. They had lived in Babylonian captivity, and now God, through a space of grace, is going to give them an opportunity for some restoration. And Ezra is speaking here, and Ezra is going to be one who leads and getting some things reestablished in Jerusalem. And he speaks and mentions this phrase in our text in verse 18, and by the good hand of God, good hand of our God. But I want us to see some other things in this chapter that will make us think that there are some reasons why Ezra could make the statement and he was aware of the good hand of God. Or if I can say it like this, there's some obvious things in this chapter to me that would be the next steps in keeping the good hand of God or getting the good hand of God on our life. I want you to look in your Bible with me this morning. First at verse number 21. And the Bible says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river, of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God, to seek of him a right way for us, and for our little ones, and for all the substance. Notice here that before their journey back, Ezra says, I proclaim a fast. We are going to do without. We are not going to eat. We are going to do what we can do to get God's attention. 
Now I want to say number one, we find necessary sacrifice. There's a lot of God's people who talk about having the blessings of God, but they don't want to make necessary sacrifice in order to get the blessings of God. I believe there's a lot of Christians who meet on the Lord's Day today and they even look to heaven and say, God, why won't you bless us? And, 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 and they say, claim promises in Scripture. Say, you said, if my people will call upon your name. But they miss a hope. They miss a, the, the key part to even that text and to the context of getting God's attention. There are some necessary sacrifices that must take place in order to have the good hand of God on your life. Our nation is a blessed nation. If we're going to have the good hand of God on our nation, there's some things that must take place. Husband, wife, mom, and dad, if you want the good hand of God on your home, there are some necessary sacrifices that must take place. Christian, if you want the good hand of God, you want in the midst of a trial, you want it evident that God is with you in the midst of this world that burns around us. If you want the evidence of God's care, the evidence of God's blessing that, that is seen by all, there's some necessary sacrifices that must take place. As we've already seen, he says, I declare, I proclaim a fast. Now, this amongst Baptist people. He said, we're not going to eat. We're going to, for a period of time, we're going to do without. We're going to inconvenience ourselves. We're going to pay a price because we want God to know we need Him. We want God to know we're serious. He proclaimed the fast there that we might afflict ourselves before our God. It's sad in the day of we live in in the life of many Christians. They will be faithful to God as long as there's no affliction in their life. And yet we find these people saying, we're willing to afflict ourselves in order to get God's attention. It's amazing to me in the day we live in the land of plenty. We live in a day of blessing. We compare as Christians today what those in the book of Acts had to endure. Those unnamed martyrs through Scripture and even history, those that have been martyred for the faith. What little price we have to pay. What little price we're willing to pay in order to have the good hand of God upon us. I mean, as long as a pastor just simply proclaims the goodness of God, but the moment that he mentions that there is sacrifice that must take place in order for the Christian to grow, in order for the church to move forward, that's when many move on and, 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 and get off of that bandwagon because they don't want to afflict themselves. They don't want to make any sacrifice. They just want God to bless them for the sake of blessing them, and they just think they deserve it. But friend, if we're going to have the good hand of God upon us, there is necessary sacrifice. Well, Pastor, I'll be there on Sunday morning, but I don't know if I can be there for Sunday school. I don't know if I can be there Sunday night. Midweek Bible study, I'd have to make some real sacrifices in my schedule. 
to be a part of and serve in ministry, I'd have to be at church early. We know if we want the good hand of God upon us, we might have to make some sacrifices in our schedule. Well, if you want to spend time with God, you might have to get up. Pastor, I would be more in my Bible, but, but I just don't have time. Well, you might have to get up a little earlier in the morning in order to do it. You might have to turn the TV off a little bit in order to spend some time with God. But we want the good hand of God upon us, and we don't want to sacrifice a thing. We don't want to change our schedule. We don't want to alter our budget. We don't want, to, we don't want God to change our way in any way whatsoever. Friend, if you're going to have the good hand of God upon your life, upon your marriage, upon your home, and us as a church and as a nation, there are some necessary sacrifices in order for that to take place. Sometimes in the life of a Christian, it's just not being like the world. There are a lot of Christians who claim the power of God, and they want the power of God. They want the blessings of God, but they're unwilling to separate themselves from this world. There's a lot of churches today, not in Jacksonville, Florida. There's a church on every corner, almost literally, and they all claim to have the power of God, and they all say they want to have the power of God, but they're not willing to make the necessary sacrifices to be separated from this world in order to have it. They afflicted themselves. Friend, this morning, are you willing to declare a, a fast in your own life? Are you willing to afflict yourself? And I'm not talking about what some would do. But I'm talking about you would change your schedule. You would do without some things. You know, God's people, and God's people will always be asked to make sacrifices. But you know, as we look at the early church in the book of Acts, they, they lived that way. From one sacrifice to the next. Oh, but Pastor, we, we, we don't want to do too much. We might have to, we might have to change our, our future, what we have planned. We might have to alter what we have set as far as our plan. But there's some necessary sacrifices if you're going to have the good hand of God. We find that it's something very interesting, number two this morning, in verse number 22. After we see in verse 21, he proclaimed a fast. We see in verse 22, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. Ezra and the people, they're going to travel back to the, uh, Jerusalem. We're going to see in just a few moments, they're taking all their wealth with them. They would have no protection from journeying from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And we find here that Ezra says in verse 21, we need to proclaim a fast. We're going to afflict ourselves because in, 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 in verse 22, he says, I was ashamed to require the king. I was ashamed to ask the king for protection when I've been saying the good hand of God is upon me. And we see the second thing in verse 22, and I'll expound on a little bit, we find an unwillingness to depend on man. Too many times in the life of a Christian, we make these bold statements, and we say, as long as I've got God, I've got all I need. But then we turn around and depend on man, and we don't depend on God. 
Well, God, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but we depend on our employer more than we depend on God. Ezra said, I couldn't. I couldn't go to the king and say, will you give us an army to protect us? Because I've been saying, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. In other words, he was saying, I felt like my life ought to match up with my mouth. If I can put it in 2020, does your life match up with your hashtag? Does your life match up with your mouth? Oh, God, I know that God can, can provide, and I, I know that God is on this throne. Well, are you dependent on Him, or are you dependent on man? Let me tell you, that election's coming up, and I am troubled about things that are going on in our nation. And if you study history at all, there are things going on right now that those involved, they would either have been challenged to a duel, or they'd have been tried for treason and hung from a gallows. I am concerned about it. I know how I'm going to vote. And I am going to vote, and so should you. But can, because that is my responsibility. But can I tell you something? I'm not depending on any man to turn this nation back to God. I'll, I'll, I'll allow God to use a man to give the church the space to turn a nation back to God. I'm depending on the Good hand of our God. But there was an unwillingness to depend on man. Christian, this morning, let me ask you, depending on man or you depend on God? I, do, I think you got to depend on God before you should depend on any man. I, as your pastor, I, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to preach this book to you. I want to be faithful to pray for you. I want to be faithful that if you need me in your dark hours, your dark time, I want to be there for you. We don't depend on your pastor more than you depend on your God. And part of our responsibility is to teach you to depend on God because there will come times when even your pastor can't intercede on your behalf. But you've got to have the good hand of God. Knowing our young people, you, you grow up in Christian homes, you grow up and you have examples of Sunday school teachers and, and youth workers and those that, that, that are examples to you. And I, I thank God for their faithfulness. And, and you can depend on them, but you cannot depend on man instead of depending on God. Well, I think it would do us all good to get a little bit ashamed as Christians again. When we look at our life, and we're honest. You say, I've been depending on man when I should be depending on God. Now, this, would, this would help some step out on the faith that they ought to step out on. Because you're waiting for man to tell you how it can be done. You're waiting on man to show you how it will be done. When if God has given the instruction, you shouldn't wait on man to tell you how it's going to be done. You should just be willing to depend on the good hand of God to get it done. We find there was necessary sacrifice. We find an unwillingness to depend on man. Number three, we see in verse number 23. So we fasted and besought our God for this. And he was entreated of us. What is Ezra saying here? He declared a fast in verse 21. 
he had set the standard that he wasn't going to depend on man. So not only did he declare it in verse number 21, they did it in verse 23. Notice that word besought. That word besought means to implore. It's not a passing prayer. It's not a, hey, will you dismiss us real quick in prayer? No, by the way, ask God to deliver us. This was an imploring of God. This was the third thing I want us to see this morning is their persistence led to answered prayer. Let me ask you a question this morning. You don't have to answer it because we all know the answer. Does God answer prayer? Does God want to answer your prayer? Then why no answer to prayer? Well, Pastor, I, I, pr- I prayed 15 years ago. and God still hasn't answered. Have you implored? Have you besought God? Oh, it seems like every election cycle... The people of God all of a sudden come to their senses and say, we better ask God to intercede. Well, I wonder how many have been praying for our nation faithfully since the last election. Or do we take a big sigh of relief? Oh, we need God, no matter who's in the White House. We need God to intercede in our nation, no matter what's going on. Persistence leads to answered prayer. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and He was entreated of us. He answered our prayer. I wonder how many prayers could be answered if we prayed them. But let me go a step further this morning. Are you with me? I wonder how many prayers would be answered if we prayed them more than once. I thank God that we have a God who cares so much and loves us enough. I think we could all testify that this has happened. We just utter a little prayer in passing, and then God answers it. But there's some prayers that we must implore. We must beseech Him. We must pray and fast and beg Him and ask Him again and again to intercede and again and again, to do what only He can do. I wonder how many prayers have gone unanswered in the lives of Christians because the prayer was never prayed. But I wonder also how many prayers have gone unanswered because they've only been prayed one time, or they've only been prayed a couple of times, when we ought to be consumed with getting the attention of God, and we ought to pray and pray and pray and pray. Friend, this morning, God does want to meet your need. He can meet your need, but you may have to rearrange your schedule a little bit. You may have to in your own life say, I'm declaring and proclaiming a fast. I'm going to be afflicted because I'm going to rearrange my schedule. There's going to be some things I'm going to do without. There's going to be some things I don't participate in because I've got to have time to get a hold of God. I've got to have time to spend with Him. You know what would do us well in our nation is we would put the NFL aside and say, once again, this is God's day. This is His day. And I really don't care about all of that over there because I've got to get a hold of God. It would do us well if you've got a need to say, well, I'm going to have to get up a little bit earlier in the morning. Why? Because I've got to have time to go to God on behalf of myself and my family and my church and my nation. There's going to have to be some changes made, and I guarantee you the same result will be what God has always done. He's heard. He's heard His people. 
But the persistence led to answered prayer. You're going to have to do more many times than just come to the altar once. You may have to make some sacrifices more than once. You may have to make some arrangements more than once. Pastor, I, I prayed about that. How much did you pray? Well, you know, I, when you said pray about it, I prayed about it. Well, you prayed a prayer, but you're not praying about it. Because we pray about it until God sends the answer. A lot of times we just pray and, well, he knows it's up there and he'll get it. How bad, how bad do you? We know, we know that God wants to meet our needs, but how bad do you want God to meet your need? How bad do we want God to meet the needs of our nation and our churches and our homes? With their persistence, many times God's people are too quick to give up. I just guess that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're too quick. Too quick. But what would happen if we persistently prayed? We see finally number four. Verses 24 through verses 27, we find a description of the offering that they are taking with them for the house of God. In verse 25, we see, And weighed unto them the silver and the gold and the vessels, even the offering of the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I even weighed under their hands 650 talents of silver and, and silver vessels and 100 talents and of gold and 100 talents and also 20 bassoons of gold of a, of a thousand drams and two vessels of fine copper precious as gold. This is quite an offering. This is quite a gift to the house of God. It is estimated that the offering there in the day's money after the, you weigh the silver and the gold is an estimated $20 million that was given for the temple of God's people. No wonder he thought about asking for an army of protection. But yet he depended on his God. Pastor, what's the significance of that? The significance of that, I believe, is found in verse 28. And I said unto them, Ye are holy unto the Lord, the vessels are holy also. And the silver and the gold, notice this, are a free will offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. We find, fourthly, a willingness to give more than required. The Bible does not say this was their tithe. This is a free will offering. Now, God's not going to come take the tithe from you. He wants you to give it freely. But would it be good if God's people were willing to give more than was necessary? We should not. We're all guilty of this. We should not look at the Christian life and set our standard as the minimum that we can do and that we could give. But we should set 
what is the most that I can do. Willingness to give more than required. Pastor, this is what it says, and that's what I did. What would be wrong with doing more? I mean, how, how silly, how silly we are as God's people to say, God, we, we want your blessings. We need your intervention. We need you to do things that only God can do. And now I'm going to round down to what I give in the offering. Or this is the minimum, so this is what I'm going to give with my time. Or we use what I call loophole Christianity. We study the Bible not so that we can do more for God, but to figure out where the loopholes are. That we think we will excuse us of responsibility. Well, it says the first day of the week. It doesn't say how many times I have to be there. Oh, no, that's true. But why settle with the minimum of what you can do for God? I don't think when we get to heaven, we're gonna, there's going to be a celebration because we, we skirted by and did only the minimum that was expected of us. Oh, no, no matter what we do and no matter what we give and how much over we do for God, we're going to wish that we had done more with our life. We're going to wish that we had sacrificed more. We're going to wish that we had reprioritized so that we could do more for Him because no matter what we're able to show that we did for our Savior, it will not be enough. There are no rewards in heaven given for those who do the minimum. Think about it. Do you expect to be rewarded for things you were expected to do? I mean, many of you, some of you are business owners, some of you are managers, some of you are bosses, some of you have people who report to you. And you give out raises when they come to you and say, I did everything that I was expected to do. Can I have a raise? Can I have a bonus? No, you have a salary for doing what you were expected to do. Does this make sense? But yet we as Christians, we want God to pour out His blessings. We want to have the good hand of God in our life, and we're only willing to do the minimum. But here is a people who said, We'll give a free will offering. A very significant one. Because they wanted to have the good hand of God. They knew what it was like to be in captivity. They knew what it was like to be away from their home. They knew what it was like to think of God's house being in ruins and the city of God being in ruins and and, and they thought of the chastisement of God, and they said, we want the favor of God again. We'll give all that we can possibly give if He'll give us the good hand of God. And a very convicting and thought-provoking question for you and I this morning is why should God do for us when we're only concerned with doing the minimum for Him? Don't you want bountiful blessings? Don't you want the windows of heaven to open and the blessings to be poured? That we've got to get out of the minimum mindset. Pastor, I, I'm still coming to church. 
Praise God, there's so many Christians that are giving up on church. Sometimes I want to say, well, am I supposed to give you a cookie? I mean, the Bible says, be in church. Pastor, if I'm asked, I'll do it. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. Think about what it would do in your life if you asked so that you could do it. We, We do the minimum. And then we think we're going to get the martyr's crown. Because pastor preached two minutes past noon. Or because we had a revival meeting that we were at every night. And we had to TiVo our our favorite shows so that we could be in revival service. Friend, let's get the mindset. Let's change our mindset this morning. First of all, be encouraged. Because even when God's people were in captivity, they could still testify of the good hand of God. It doesn't matter what has taken place in your life that you did not anticipate. God has not forsaken you. And I could stand here literally all day long and take this book and apply it to our nation and how our nation has violated the work of God. How I think, and I can show from Scripture the things that are taking place in our nation, I believe, are fulfillment of God's judgment on our nation. And it's not, it's not going to get better. And I can literally all day long talk about what is going on in our world and how it's a direct result of our nation having the word of God and rejecting it and bringing in the judgment of God. California is burning not because of global warming. I believe it is the judgment of God. Even in this year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we set a record for for, up in that Gulf area for the number of Name storms that have hit landfall. No, and this world just laughs it off. Well, that's 2020 for you. Oh, wake up. It's God. But I could talk all day long about that. But I could talk all through the night and into the week of in spite of all that, the good hand of God that is upon us the good hand of God in His blessings, the good hand of God and how He gives us that space of grace and how He gives us that opportunity and in spite of our own failures as His people and not praying as we should pray and not doing what we should do, God is faithful and God loves us and the good hand of God is evident. Be encouraged this morning. In spite of what this world will tell you, God is good. May we also be challenged this morning to take our minimum to sacrifice, to take our routine to sacrifice.
to be willing to depend on Him for everything and not on man. May we be challenged to do our part and say, if nothing else, I'm going to be more persistent in my pleading with God. I'm going to be more persistent in making my request known to Him. And oh, many, because I've prayed with you for many period, a long period of time, many of you have prayed for God to do things in the lives of other people and, and in your own life for not just weeks and months and years, and sometimes you get discouraged and say, when is God going to answer? I can't tell you when He's going to answer, but all I can say is just continue to beseech Him, continue to implore to Him, and He hears your prayer. Continue praying. Wait on God to send the answer. What what it's going to take for us to turn this nation around is for a group of God's people to say, I'm willing to do more than is expected of me. I'm willing to give more than I am expected to give. I'm willing to sacrifice more. Really, I'm expected the sacrifice. This morning, however, the Lord has spoken to your heart about what you should do. You know, another problem I see as we go to the invitation this morning is we spend too much time talking about what the nation needs to do and not enough time talking about what I need to do. We speak too much in generalities. Christians need to do this. We can talk about generalities all we want this morning. I want us to be very personal with our God and have the Spirit of God speak to our heart and be willing to address what more I need to do. This morning I'm preaching to what I believe are the most faithful people on this planet. There's not another church in this world. Unless God picked me up and moved me, I'd want to be a part of it over the Emmanuel Baptist Church. You're a faithful people. But sometimes, that's not enough. What I mean by that is what I preached this morning. For God's people to get from bondage back to Jerusalem, and I don't have time to go there, but they... They get back to Jerusalem. In order for that to take place, sometimes God's people have got to say, I've got to afflict myself. In our nation, it has been easy for decades. Compared to what other generations have had to sacrifice, compared to what other Christians have had to do, it's been easy. In order to get us out of bondage, we may have to raise our standard We may have to get away from the minimum Christian and say, I'm going to be the sacrificial Christian. That's what truly gets God's attention. As the Lord speaks to you, you do business with God.